Welcome to Wisdom Trek with Gramps. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, and we are on day 2,161 of our trek. The purpose of Wisdom Trek is to create a legacy of wisdom, to seek out discernment and insights, and to boldly grow where few have chosen to grow before. Today we continue our extended series of messages that I delivered at Putnam Congregational Church over the past couple of years. This message is week 29 of a 43-week series about the good news according to John the Apostle. John has a unique style and narrative as we walk with him through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. I pray that it will be a conduit of learning and encouragement for you. So today, we continue our series on the good news according to John the Apostle. In the last time, we saw Jesus as he gently consoled and encouraged the remaining 11 disciples when he said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. And today we continue our lesson as Jesus teaches his disciples, and not only his disciples, but he teaches us that the way to overcome fear is to allow that advocate, the Holy Spirit, to fill us and bring peace to our hearts. And our scripture today is John chapter 14, verses 25 through 31. It's a short passage today, and it's starting on page 1676 in the Pew Bible. So follow along as I read it, starting with verse 25. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I am. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Fear, it's a primal response and entirely unnatural to the humanity that God originally created. The first emotion recorded in the Bible in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, it says, Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Adam and Eve enjoyed perfect intimacy both with God and with each other uninhibited by sin and the shame that sin always brings to us. The second emotion named explicitly in the scripture is that of fear. After trying to conceal his shame, Adam confessed that fear drove him into hiding when the creator wanted, was out to confront him. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, it says, He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Fear is a product of the fall. And we've been trying to cope with fear ever since and what it does to our lives. Fear of heights, fear of crowds, fear of being alone, fear of open spaces, fear of closed spaces, fear of germs, fear of death. And I've even read that some people have a fear of fear, of being afraid. Fear can be debilitating. Fear strips the athlete of its proudness. They drain the creativity of an artist. 
It muddies the leader's clarity and drives the soldier deeper into the foxhole. And I've seen people almost literally paralyzed by fear, unable to move a muscle because of that grip of fear. More commonly, and this is an important point, fear keeps people from becoming all that God ultimately designed them to be, created them to be, and it prevents us from loving one another fully. Now, Jesus' announcement of his departure to the disciple put the disciples into an emotional tailspin. They couldn't imagine a future without Jesus. The prospect of going on without him terrified them, and rightfully so. Likewise, I cannot imagine living a life without having the surety of Christ in my life. But those trembling 11 men that night needed courage, and we need courage today. So Jesus confronted their fears with four truths, that when we apply these truths, they help every believer to have the power to overcome the fear that so thwarts us. And I've listed in your bulletin on the side with the yellow verse on it, those four truths that we'll be going over today. The first truth is taken from verses 25 and 26. We may be inadequate, but the Holy Spirit will make us competent and courageous. Jesus said, all this I have spoken while I was still with you. And he refers to the teaching that he went over and over with his disciples of obedience, of love, and abiding. He promised that everything he taught would continue to be taught by the Holy Spirit living within them. The word translated here, advocate, or in some translations, helper, is the word, the Greek word parakletos. And it's a transliteration of the form of the term paraclete. The Greek term, as it translated in the New International Version, is advocate. But it could also be translated as encourager or even coach. Now, in modern terms, we would think of a coach or a personal trainer in the same mindset. Someone running alongside us if we were in a race to provide counsel, correction, hope, comfort, and positive perspective. Likewise, that paracletus helps another toward excellence. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. He comes alongside us to help us toward excellence. Like that coach encouraging and challenging the athlete to reach a particular goal, the advocate trains his believers to be dedicated to him to dedicate themselves to discard hindrances of becoming more like Christ and becoming obedient to Christ. The helper does this supernaturally in our life, in part by recalling the words of Christ to our mind and then applying those words to our hearts when we're in a troubled situation. But how can we apply, have the Holy Spirit apply those words to us unless we have his word in our lives? The disciples learned volumes of truth at Jesus' feet, far more than anyone could remember without that supernatural help of the Holy Spirit. After Jesus ascended to heaven, men never saw him again, at least during his earthly ministry. They had to depend on that Holy Spirit to give them a perfect recall and to help them pass on the teachings that he said he would leave with them and pass them on without any type of error. 
And that's what we have in God's Word. Those teachings passed along by the Holy Spirit as they inspired men to write the Holy Scriptures. And while we're not tasked to write Scripture, we as believers have that same Holy Spirit abiding in us. In the interim period, while Jesus is away now, during what was referred to as the last days, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Until he returns to establish that global Eden where heaven and earth will become one and will rule and reign with him forever. The Holy Spirit within us instructs us as his followers and reminds us of that truth that was previously be, had been revealed. That truth that we have hidden in our hearts that we might not sin against God. The second truth is verse 27. We may be fearful, but the peace of Jesus Christ is ours for the taking. Jesus left his followers with a legacy. He says, peace, I leave with you. And he left us with a treasure. He says, my peace, I give to you. Now the disciples are going to face uncertain days going forward, especially between the time where Jesus died and was resurrection, and then the ascension. But the Holy Spirit didn't come until Pentecost, some almost two months afterwards. So there was this time where they were really struggling. But we see when the Holy Spirit came upon them, how much bolder they became, and how Peter preached those bold statements. Let's just pause for a prayer for whatever's going on there. Father, we just pray as the emergency crews going out, that you'll be with them, that you'll help them to comfort, you'll help them to sustain whatever the issue is, Father, that we might see you working through this. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. But we see that the disciples do face these uncertain days. So we wanted to focus their attention on what ultimately will be the victory in their life, the final victory. Imagine watching a championship football game, say the Super Bowl, and you were sitting there with a group of friends watching the Super Bowl, but unbeknownst to them, it was previewed earlier and you had watched it and you knew what the game would contain. But they were sitting there, unknown to them, they thought it was watching it the first time through, but you would experience it differently than your friends would. They might gasp when a football was fumbled and they might cringe when the opponent has scored. But you would remain relatively unaffected by that because you were viewing things through the eyes of somebody that knew the ultimate outcome. That you knew that through the lens of an assured outcome that your team that you had hoped for would win. And if any of your friends then discovered that you already knew the outcome while they were watching, then they could look to you and say, you know what's going to happen. Share with us. Your peace would become their peace. And a little later, Jesus would describe this, and we'll get to this in a few weeks, in John chapter 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you so that, you may, so, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. And our third truth today is verses 28 and 29. Circumstances may be dire, but victory is assured. Jesus noted that his imminent death, that he could say, be seen either as a calamity or a victory, depending on what our perspective is. 
He had predicted his death and resurrection many times to his disciples, and yet they did not clearly understand it. They were still dull of mind. But his disciples failed to understand that they were taking part of something that was even greater than what they had imagined, that they would rule and reign with Christ immediately on earth, that it wasn't to be because Christ had such a much bigger picture of his kingdom encompassing the entire world. Now, if they had accepted the master's death as part of the father's plan, they would have been hopeful instead of fearful. And note the Lord's use of when instead of if. In verse 29, he says, I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. The Father's plan is not an if plan for them or for us. It's a when plan. It's when things will happen. There are no contingencies to plan for. Nothing will stop Christ now. While the Lord has not rescinded his gift to us of self-determination and choice, we still have a free will to choose our daily decisions in life, and that will direct somewhat our direction of life. God's ultimate plan will never be changed any more than the past would be changed. While we will face tribulations every day, and we have to deal with those, our experiences will not always be pleasant. We can endure with hope, with confidence assurance that God's plans are assured to be in victory. No one understood this better than God's son. That week when the, the deepest darkness fell on him, and especially this night that they're approaching, he suffered more than any other man or woman would ever endure within their lifetime. Which brings us to the fourth truth in verses 30 and 31. Circumstances may be difficult, but courage can be found in obedience. Now, Christ referred to the prince or the ruler of the world, which is Satan, that evil one. When first man chose to disobey God, all of creation fell under the prince's dominion, that dominion of sin and evil, of death and corruption. The incarnation of God in the person of Jesus Christ was an invasion. It was a liberating force of one. He suffered the assault of the enemy in order to free humanity from their dominion of sin. Jesus warned that the enemy would plan and strike soon. Judas, at that very moment when he was teaching his disciples, was out planning with the, the priest to put together a, a co cohort of temple guards and a region of Roman soldiers, or legion of Roman soldiers. And that was the very moment he was teaching. The Lord assured his followers that obedience is the means of overcoming fear of that enemy. He declared, I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. And while the prospects of suffering and sin on the behalf of the whole world troubled Jesus very deeply, obedience gave him the courage to carry on. Jesus pulled his disciples aside before his arrest in order to equip them for the ministry without his physical presence. He had called them to, be the shine, to shine like the light of truth in the world, a world that was ruled by evil, and he faithfully equipped them with all the information they would ever need. However, fear threatened to render them powerless, and we saw during those days between Christ's death 
on the cross and Pentecost that they dealt with fear so much until that indwelling Holy Spirit which Christ promised would indwell them and give them the strength to carry on. Fear threatened. And why is that? Because the same fear plagues us as Christians today, but it's the lack of confidence in the truth of God's word. First of all, we have to know God's word in order to understand the truth. And we have to understand that truth in order to have confidence in God's words. The disciples trusted Christ, but they lacked confidence. We have trust, and we have confidence. Those are the two key words for today, trust and confidence. Trust is the decision to accept the words of Jesus as truth and then make them the basis for all the decisions that we make. Confidence is that growing feeling of peace as we apply the words of Christ. Then we gain confidence in our lives, realizing that if we do have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, we have everything that we need and we can confidently apply those words of Christ to our lives. And we can see them confirmed over and over in our lives as we go throughout the trials and tribulations. Trust is the decision that we make. Confidence is that feeling that we get by trusting in Christ. Knowing that we have everything that we need, we can be confident in our hope. Now the response to the disciples' fear confirmed it once again that the truth that he had been teaching them from the beginning of his ministry. Believers no longer have a reason to fear. Unlike Adam and his disobedience, his choice, we have peace with God because of what Jesus did with his atoning sacrifice. And we're told this in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Now, God's omnipotence is our ally against any conceivable enemy that we might face in life. But the confidence is that true in the truth does occur, and it doesn't occur all of a sudden. Once we accept Christ as our Savior, very rarely do you see a believer full of confidence and trust and never having an issue after that. It's something that grows within us and becomes strengthened in us. Our decision to trust is the beginning of the process of that growth of confidence. When we experience the truth of Christ's word, and we do that by our personal obedience to him, this in turn leaves us less and less room for fear in our lives. If we're fearful in our lives, it's because we don't have enough trust in Christ through his word that doesn't give us the confidence to stand strong. And all of us had to deal with fears of various sorts. But that is when we're lacking in the confidence because we're lacking in the trust of Christ. Jesus called the process of growing confidence through obedience as abiding. And we'll focus on that word next week, abiding. And what's the application in today's message of these few verses that we're looking at, 25 through 31? If you look on the other side of your bulletin insert, I have a question up there. What is your focus in life? Every waking moment of our lives we focus on one of these five areas, these facets of life. All of us are present and very real in our lives, these facets, so we can't, cannot ignore them. We deal with each of these on a daily basis. However, only one of them should be our sole primary focus as we focus on the other four. 
The first thing that we facet of life we focus on is self. When self becomes our focus of life, we become conceited. And inevitably, we'll become discouraged because our expectations are not met. When the world resolves, revolves around itself, it interprets, it interprets life through how we view life, through how we view ourselves, is how we view everyone else. When good or bad things happen, we assume somehow they're related to some innate goodness or badness in our own lives. And an unhealthy self-esteem becomes twisted into vanity, ultimately into narcissism. And while a poor self-esteem spirals down toward depression, we can be confident without being arrogant. And that's what we need. Our second facet of life that we focus on at times is circumstances. And the quickest way to become overwhelmed by fear or hopelessness is to focus too much on the circumstances of a particular day. In many ways, that's somewhat the opposite of our self-focus. People who focus on circumstances presume that their choices that they make cannot affect anything in their lives or their surrounding world, that they are what they are and we just deal with it. As a result, they feel helpless and victimized by the world that they feel they're powerless to change. The third facet of life that we focus on are possessions. People frequently substitute the acquisition and maintenance of things for what will really satisfy them long term. Relationship with other people, close intimate bonds that we're called to have in the scriptures, where one is known and is known by other, another, sometimes they become frightening to us to get too personal with someone, and it becomes easier to manage things than manage relationship with other people. I would say that's true in my life. I can control things easier than I control my relationship with other people because they're free will beings also. This is especially true of our relationship with God, though. We need to focus on things that we can really influence. And possessions is not it. Especially when we try to fill our God-shaped void in our life with possessions, it'll never work. People is another facet of life that we have to go to, which naturally can, connects to the previous point. We need people in our lives. God made us for a relationship with himself and with others. However, relationships can actually become idolatry in our life. And that, when I thought about that, I think, is that too much, idolatry? How can relationships become idolatry? But we too easily allow the voices of others to overshadow the truth of the scripture. We allow the voices of others to control what we do and the decisions we make instead of relying on God's word to do so. And when we do that, that becomes an idol in our life. Some of us allow themselves to be tossed around by the opinions of others. And the last facet of life that we need to focus on and should be our primary focus is the Lord. Jesus called us to focus on that triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who is sovereign over self, circumstance, possession, and other people. Everything finds its right balance when these four other things, influences in our life, are controlled by our relationship with God and subordinate to them. Finally, we see ourselves as we ought to. We see our circumstances 
as they become tools for God's providence. We see our possessions as blessings to help us to build God's kingdom. And we see people as they become equals with us in Christ, equally unworthy of his grace and love, but also equal in God's outpouring of grace and love on everybody's life. And if you're like me, I tend at time to be a relentless pragmatic. We want to know these truths, but we want to know how we can apply them and how they can make a difference in our lives, how we can render fear obsolete in our lives, and how can we put fear out of our daily experiences. I come up with, with um, four different suggestions that have worked in my life, and I'll share those with you. Hopefully, they'll work in you, for you also. The first suggestion is acknowledge your source of power. Now, if you've trusted in Christ, you have the presence of the Almighty God dwelling in you. The Holy Spirit lives within you. And when we're confronted by something that we fear, choose to turn our attention to the power of God that resides within us and allow him to take control. So we need to acknowledge that source of power. Second suggestion I have today is begin each day with prayer. And this can quickly resolve into a meaningless, memorized prayer where you're really not thinking through it. We don't necessarily want to fall into that routine because there'll be some days you just don't know what to pray. And you say, just say, Lord, I have no idea what to pray for today, but I give you thanks for another day. If you have no specific fear or worry in mind that you need to bring before the Lord, Make your prayers one of thanksgiving, of praise to him for what he's given you that day and the ability to do it. Now, your prayers in the morning might take two minutes or two hours. It doesn't matter. The key is to go before the Lord every morning, to give him that day, to turn that day over to him as a new, new day that you're here to serve him. For me, that's a crucial source of both power and peace in my life. The third suggestion I have today is correct the habit of pessimism. I don't suffer much with being pessimistic. I tend to be optimistic about almost everything, probably to a fault. And I tend to reframe any negative issues into something positive. So sometimes I need to be brought down to reality also. But correct your ha pe habit of pessimism. Our tendency to fear that the worst will unfold in our lives, that something unpleasant. And when we do that, we miss the prophecy of God in his word. And I'm not talking about just future prophecy, but everyday teaching in his word. It is virtually impossible to remain pessimistic when you know that the future is in God's hands and that his plan will be final. However dis dismal the present day might appear, how victorious evil seems to appear in our world today, we are assured that God's redemptive plan cannot be defeated. God's plan will ultimately win. We may not understand it. We may not understand why we go through things that cause us fear, cause us trials and tribulations, but God's will will be done. And the fourth suggestion I have today is devote yourself to obedience. When we are obedient, we give the accuser less opportunity to implant fear within us. Bad circumstances will surround us. And Satan would love nothing more than to tell us, well, 
Obedience doesn't matter. So you don't need to be obedient. That's what the evil one wants. Nothing can be further from the truth, though. Disobedience breeds fear. When we are disobedient to God's word, we become fearful. Obey the Lord of love. And amazingly, over time, fear will fade. If you look at a verse on that side of the bulletin insert, you'll see a tree. And this reminded me of our faith. As it grows out of a planted in God's word, as it grows up bigger and bigger each day, we see that sun, that son of God is represented in that tree who gives us the strength through the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. And Jesus, as he told his disciples, he says, peace, I live with you, leave with you. My peace, I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And that's the lesson out of this passage for today. Do not be afraid. And next Sunday, we'll continue on Jesus' instruction with his disciples as they head out to that Mount of Olives. And we learn about that grapevine and we learn about abiding in Christ. So I'd encourage you to read chapter 15, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11 in preparation for next week's message. Let us pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you've left your peace with us. We do not need to be afraid. For we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us that gives us strength to bring back those words that we have in our minds and our hearts just when we need them. Help us to be faithful in obedience to you by studying your word, to knowing you more intimately each day. That when we do face trials and tribulations that are a part of this world, that we will not be afraid, that we'll be bold and can come before you to draw on the strength that you've implanted within us, Father. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I pray that this message was a blessing and a time of learning from God's Word. Thank you so much for allowing me to be your guide, your mentor, but most importantly, I am your friend, as I serve you through the Wisdom Trek podcast and journal each day. And as we take this trek of life together, let us always live abundantly. Love unconditionally, listen intentionally, learn continuously, lend to others generously, lead with integrity, and leave a living legacy each day. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, reminding you to keep moving forward, enjoy your journey, and create a great day every day. See you next time for more wisdom from God's Word.